0: C'est vrai. Je suis un anana. Now, in the uh, towers of uh Edmatore. Ananatoria don't speak on both sides. I do not use crack cocaine, nor am I an addict.
1: French and Fabulous.
2: I'm Jessica. And I'm Janelle, and I'm still alive. I mean, you sound dead. I sound really dead. I'm like two weeks away from finishing my master's degree, so this episode is not gonna make a whole lot of sense on my end. It's mostly just gonna be Jessica talking into the void. I'm like, my sleep schedule is so bad right now that I'm kind of sleeping in like four one hour shifts a day. (laughs) (laughs) which is probably killing my brain from the inside but it's it's fine as opposed to your
1: your regular solid five
2: exactly it's it's much worse to spread it out my dog's concerned she's worried about what's gonna happen when i inevitably die doing this
1: you know a lot of meat but like probably like i'm 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 a hungry chihuahua and you know i I've, i've got a whole life to live how long How long can she possibly last?
2: I mean, she'll last a lot longer if she stops biting my roommates. That's a whole other story. <laughs> Fuck.
1: Vicious, vicious attack dog, Bianca.
2: She's, she's got to protect me from people I've lived with for much longer than I've had her.
1: But uh, but uh, today I'm very excited because we're doing meth. I mean, not literally.
2: We're doing meth. I do-
1: we're literally doing meth. I,
2: do- I mean, it would keep me awake. It was. I'm not above meth at this point.
1: Statistically, your sleeping schedule is inexplicable for someone who is not doing metric tons of meth.
2: I mean, maybe if I did some meth, it would just sort of circle back around like it would cancel out my shitty sleep schedule and not have a normal one again.
1: <laughs> You'd just be a functioning human being with all your own teeth.
2: Huzzah! I, who needs teeth? Overrated.
1: Uh, specifically, our topic is the rise of methamphetamine and its use in World War II.
2: Cheerful shit.
1: The dawn of meth came, as with many terrible, terrible things, in early 20th century Germany. Germany, over the course of the 19th century, had established itself as a pharmaceutical research and manufacturing powerhouse. This began with the isolation of morphine from opium in 1804 by German pharmacist Friedrich Serturner, the first time an alkaloid organic com- compound had ever been isolated from a plant. Interesting. Humans have been using the concentrated sap of the poppy as a medicinal and mind-altering substance ever since it was first cultivated. But the problem was that it was impossible to predict or control the strength of a particular batch of opium latex, which varied depending on growing conditions, soil quality, etc., much like wine does. This means that an identical dose of opium might be anywhere from ineffective to lethal.
2: Mmm, it just adds the fun to it. Makes it a little more exciting.
1: Like Russian roulette, except it's with your doctor. <laughs> oh, good. With the active pain-killing compound of opium isolated, medical professionals could administer necessary pain relief with far lower risk of accidental overdose, simply because they knew exactly how much morphine the patient was getting. Which is, you know, it's it's nice to know how much morphine you're putting in a patient. <laughs> I was gonna say
2: like <laughs> I don't ask for a lot, but I do want to know that it's my advil is not going to immediately kill me.
1: I prefer it when each pill is exactly the same amount as any other pill. <laughs> It's way easier to give myself appropriate doses of Ritalin and not accidentally give myself a heart attack.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Is this going to take the edge off your headache? Is it going to send you to that undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns? Mm. Mmm. Who knows? It's half the fun. In
1: 1850, Scottish doctor Alexander Wood—I didn't have to look up that pronunciation— uh, inventor of the hypodermic syringe, uh, discovered that injecting morphine tripled its potency and brought more rapid pain relief. I just like that
2: you know he gets to go down in history as the father of mainlining. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was probably not his intention when he started out. Probably not. That wasn't how. That wasn't how any of this was supposed to go. That <laughs> <laughs> was like really, really the father of H- East Hastings. Just mm,
2: God, oh no. <laughs>
1: Just the patron saint of Skid Row. Just.
2: <laughs> Tie one off for.
1: <laughs> In honor of Dr. Wood. <laughs> oh no. The ability to isolate alkaloids from medicinal plants led to a massive pharmaceutical boom, particularly in Germany, which became the headquarters of numerous early pharma giants, such as Merck and Bayer. Germany had the know-how, the human capital, and a strong manufacturing base to become prime drug dealer to the Western world.
2: Drugs, drugs, drugs,
1: drugs. Drugs, 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 drugs. drugs. Except in Germany- One more I, time! In Germany, I assume
2: <laughs> they're called like, they're Happy Pillen.
1: Your skill with language, it's- it's
2: Just rolls right off the tongue. It is, I've missed my calling. Beautiful
1: language. Really, we should have done opposite degrees. They should put me in charge of molding young minds, and you in charge of the tongue waggling.
2: I'm not making Um. a sound out loud, but I am screaming. (laughs) On the inside. I don't have the energy to scream on the outside right now.
1: Oh, you'd destroy your throat. (coughs) Better not. The discovery of morphine injection was followed in 1860 with the isolation of cocaine by another German chemist, Albert Niemann. In April 1897, a chemist for the Bayer Company, Felix Hoffman, both synthesized the active compound found in aspirin, which comes from willow bark, and independently rediscovered a derivative of morphine called diacetylmorphine, better known by its brand name, heroin. Oh, those are two very different
2: discoveries. I mean, one of them is actually probably one of the largest causes of preventable liver failure in the United States. Uh, The other one is, yeah. The other
1: one is heroin.
2: The other one is the reason we have, um, oh, fuck, what is that movie? Oh, a Requiem for a Dream. So, you know. And I,
1: and I think I think that's how they'll go down in history. I think that's how they will be remembered.
2: I actually think most people don't understand that their overuse of aspirin is killing their livers. I think we're just we're just unwilling to endure headaches.
1: I, I think we're really bad at informing people about the danger of their basic medications.
2: Like Funny enough, it's been said that if aspirin was discovered today, it would not be available over the counter.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I think I'm not even supposed to take What's the what's the one that makes people bleed more?
2: I believe that's also aspirin.
1: Yeah, it's also aspirin. I don't know. We're yeah. not we're not medical doctors. Don't don't take any advice from us. If you have any risk of like bleeding, you should not be taking aspirin.
2: Yes, it's a blood thinner.
1: It's a blood thinner. <laughs> like, there's, that's, there's a reason why we use it for people with, like, heart problems. It's amazing that we allow a blood thinner to be sold over the counter.
2: Yeah, and even low doses, it can cause bleeding in your gut. You'll just blow up like that blueberry girl from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. In fairness, though, it's still probably less bad for you than heroin, so,
1: you know. I mean, they haven't quite found out how to inject a-, 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 a- <laughs> Aspirin- they haven't quite figured out how to inject aspirin. <laughs> is this what
2: you do with your spare time? You're just crushing up aspirin in a spoon with a lighter.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm just I need I need to get the, like that good hit. I just I'm just I'm just. It, it's so much better when it's right in the vein.
2: <laughs> the problem with aspirin is it just doesn't vault across that blood brain barrier quite fast enough.
1: Apparently, if you have asthma, you're also not supposed to take it. So, like, who doesn't have asthma in this day and age?
2: Most people. Like, you just can't breathe.
1: <laughs> like a lot of people I know do in fact have asthma. Um, yeah, because even, all of your
2: friends think... are weird little asthmatics with master's degrees. We've been over <laughs> this.
1: My best friend invited me over to like move help him move, and he has asthma and is like five foot five, and I have asthma and I'm five foot five, and we're both like dorks who don't care to exercise. <laughs> I can just picture
2: the two of you wheezy little fuckers going up and down the stairs with, like, an individual lamp. (laughs) Having to take a break. We
1: had to- we had to carry his filing cabinet. No. I nearly died.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's a miracle that you're still with us.
1: I was one for the angels. I was about to join the choir eternal. Um, <laughs> Maybe if you had heroin, it would be better. I just a little more smack to get me up and down the stairs. Uh, morphine was originally sold as a painkiller. Those were those were your over counter options for a headache: aspirin or morphine. Mm. So morphine was originally sold as a painkiller. Cocaine as a local anesthetic. Bayer marketed heroin as everything from a from headache medication to cough suppressant.
2: In fairness, it will do both of those things.
1: Oh yeah, it will also ruin You won't have much of a cough anymore.
2: No, 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 no. You, you won't have
1: much of anything. No, including a house, a wife, or a future. I mean, it's you're gonna
2: get the shakes and die if you ever stop taking it, but you will not cough.
1: You will not cough, <laughs> and that is a Bayer guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> All three morphine, cocaine, and heroin were available over the counter without a prescription for decades.
2: Which one did we rub on babies' gums to help them teeth?
1: Oh, heroin. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. Maybe, maybe there's a reason that we uh,
1: mm.
2: get higher test scores these days. It
1: does soothe babies. It does. They they feel better. They feel that's, real good. That's real one of the, real good.
2: When I see people now talking about how vaccines are causing autism and we're putting poison in our body, I'm like, we literally just gave babies narcotics for decades. Oh yeah, we, to we, shut them we, up.
1: We straight up gave them unregulated, unmeasured opiates straight to the face. Yeah, you just
2: trip balls. Um, And we thought that
1: was being a good parent. Oh, yeah.
2: (laughs) Your kid, you know, they can come down by their fifth birthday. They're all set.
1: This is the real reason people used to drink a glass of alcohol uh, during their breaks for work. They had a much higher tolerance because they'd been doing heavy narcotics since childhood. <laughs> they gotta, yeah, they're, they're practiced. They've stretched that liver. They've had their warm-ups. Um, during the late 1920s, Germany produced 40% of the world's supply of morphine. Just three German companies, Boehringer, Null, and Merck, controlled 80% of the world's cocaine. At the same time, the scars of the First World War, political instability, and the financial crisis caused by the reparation payments required by the Treaty of Versailles massively increased the popularity of drug abuse as a form of escapism. The nascent Nazi movement was opposed to this kind of decadent degeneracy, despite the rampant alcohol abuse found amongst the Nazi paramilitary. This was and is a reflection of the racist fascist obsession with the concept of purity.
2: Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't even, like, heroin is bad. No, no. I was, I like, was with them up until that point,
1: but... Yeah, like, you're fascist, but, like, stop clocks, right, twice a day, you know? No, no, that's not what this was about. I ask for so little. Like, even when the Nazis agree with you, they agree for the wrong reasons. Uh, the Nazis believed that the proper place to derive euphoria was from the collective emotional high of populist rallies. They, of course, blamed the Jews for this pharmaceutical mass delusion, because that's just sort of what the Nazis did.
2: Of course, they hate heroin because Jews. That's that's a punchline I should have seen coming.
1: That's always why. (sighs) Because Jews. That's why. (laughs) It doesn't have to make sense. It's bigotry.
2: The man who stares at a blank laptop at my local Starbucks, I hardly agrees with this. <laughs> he just sits there for like six
1: hours, muttering about the Jews. It's a uh, fun stuff. Someone should intervene. Absolutely, that man is being failed by the system. Staring at a laptop that doesn't work. So you know, doing some research. Doing some doing some important work. <laughs> Nazi propaganda built an image of Adolf Hitler as a man without vice, free from weakness towards meat, alcohol, and sexual overindulgence not to mention coffee and cigarettes. Or having two functional testicles. Self-denial to the pleasures of the flesh, here symbolizing the depth and strength of his moral character.
2: Or the fact that he couldn't get it up and he thought meat was icky. But, you know.
1: (laughs) Whatever. Honestly, as somebody who just, like, doesn't engage in several popular human activities just because I think they're kind of gross, sometimes I just don't want to, and it's not deeper than that. (laughs)
2: Like, I was gonna say, like... Effeminate millennial and Hitler's uber-bench are, are two sides of the same coin. You know, it's it's really a yin and yang. Vegans sad boys, but one does genocide and the other one just really wants a job at BuzzFeed.
1: <laughs> we all have our own story, Janelle.
2: We have our own struggles.
1: After seizing power in 1933, the Nazis began their very own war on drugs stigmatizing and severely penalizing the use of prohibited substances. The Nazis legalized indefinite detention of addicts, and the Berlin Medical Councils instituted mandatory reporting of drug users by doctors. Citizens were encouraged to report friends, acquaintances, and family members who used drugs. Addicts were forced to withstand painful withdrawal symptoms rather than being slowly weaned off the source of their dependence. Many drug users were later sent to the concentration camps, where they were murdered in large numbers during the early war- years of the Second World War.
2: That that went uh, zero to ninety uh, immediately.
1: Oh, that shit got dark as fuck.
2: <laughs> That's real dark. That's oof oof. I mean, we're not handling we're not handling the current opioid crisis, right? But uh,
1: yeah, like this this war on drugs was actually worse. <laughs>
2: This one was worse. (laughs) Makes our current
1: efforts to deal with the opioid crisis look humane, so... Wow, yeah. That is a hard lift. Even as cocaine and heroin consumption dropped in the first few years of Nazi rule, there was a boom in synthetic stimulants. After Germany lost what few colonial possessions it had in the Treaty of Versailles, it lacked the easy access to tea and coffee enjoyed by other European nations like Britain and France, and there was strong demand for an alternative. So they went with meth? Yeah. Yeah. What? What? We we need that buzz to get us up in the morning. Holy shit. A shot of Timmy's just isn't doing it. Let's have some methamphetamine.
2: <laughs> do you start your day by jogging to Poland? Like what are you doing <laughs> that you need that much energy? Oh, just, um, all right. Just we're going to smoke some crank and then we're yeah. going to go bench press the Eiffel Tower. Woo! Yeah,
1: we're we're going to we're going to do some meth and then we're going to we're going to head to the head her to the office. <laughs>
2: Holy shit, I understand how people worked 12-hour shifts back then. Yeah,
1: a lot, a lot of World War II makes way more sense when you understand that a lot of people were doing some heavy methamphetamine. Everybody's teeth were made of bees, and it just, <laughs> everyone got a little bit antsy for a while. There were bugs underneath our skins, but we were ready to do what needed to be done for the fatherland. Oh um,
2: my god, oh wow, that's,
1: poof. Mm- uh, That's one way to do it. That is one way to do that. Lazare Edelianu, a Jewish Romanian chemist living in Germany, first synthesized amphetamine in 1887. Nagai Nagayoshi, a Japanese pharmacologist, then synthesized methamphetamine in 1893, followed by Agata Okira, who synthesized the crystallized form methamphetamine hydrochloride. Crystal meth. Strangely, an import from the Japanese. Get on it, weaboos.
2: Oh my god. <laughs> No, we're not going to encourage meth. You're
1: not a real Naruto fan unless you do a shit ton of meth.
2: We're not (laughs) encouraging meth addiction among Naruto fans. (laughs) It's
1: literally what I'm doing. You can we do, not do a lot all of unethical shit help. on this
2: show, but oh my god.
1: <laughs> this is happening. <laughs> Holy shit. Amphetamines were first released to the public by American pharmaceutical company Smith, Klein & French in 1933 as a nasal decongestant, although it quickly saw youth in athletic doping. I mean, it will it will
2: decongest your, uh, your nasals, but it will... Your sinuses will be clear. <laughs> yeah, when you wear a hole straight through your septum, it'll really clear things out.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just... Real clear. The cleanest breath of air you've ever had.
2: The air will whistle through the holes in your brain.
1: (laughs) Just, what if you had, like, nair for the inside of your nose?
2: Oh my god. (laughs) Nope. This is why you're not a doctor.
1: (laughs) Among many other reasons. Oh, among Um, so many reasons. The Tembler Company, inspired by the success of benzodrine doping at the 1936 Olympics, decided to develop an amphetamine-based stimulant of its own. Head Temmler chemist, Fritz Hauschild, building off the work of Nagai and Ogata, created a process for synthesizing methamphetamine, a product that Temmler patented and sold under the trademark Pervitin. Pervitin went on the market immediately after its creation, with no further testing into its long-term effects. This was a problem. Chemically, meth is very similar to adrenaline, so when you consume it, your stupid, stupid body thinks, hell yeah, adrenaline, my buddy, head up onto the penthouse suite, and the methamphetamine molecules path right through the blood-brain barrier and into the brain. Oh, that shit's immediate. Immediate. The meth then floods the brain with dopamine and noradrenaline and blocks their reuptake from anywhere to 8 to 24 hours. The sustained barrage of these two specific neurotransmitters lights the brain up like a Christmas tree, causing you to feel alert, confident, and euphoric. Your thoughts seem to come faster and faster as you essentially ha- hack the body's flight or fight response to overclock your brain far past the manufacturer's recommendation.
2: It's important to know though that, that doesn't make you useful. No like you have the energy to wash the same plate for 72 hours. Uh, it, yeah yeah
1: it makes you feel like a super clever super genius in Ubermensch but uh this will not make you clever. <laughs>
2: No, it makes you really good at pointing yourself at the nearest repetitive task and just doing it just for a really long time. plowing through it. <laughs> and what's interesting is that the um, the cognitive effects that you associate with meth, like when you see somebody talking to themselves or speaking in absolute nonsense on the bus, that's actually not a direct effect of methamphetamine. No. That is an effect of sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. And I know this so well from working hands-on with so many meth users um it's the sleep deprivation they initially just get this burst of energy and they're they're sort of super pumped up but you wouldn't they there's no cognitive distortions in the beginning they're just really gung-ho to do
1: whatever stupid thing you tell them to do mm-hmm. massively lowered inhibitions
2: yeah the the part where they're picking bees out of their skin and talking to god happens when they've been up for 4 days Mm -hmm. and that's the tweaking response that's where the name tweaker comes from when they're crashing, when they're they're getting towards the end of the amount of time they've been up their body's constantly trying to fall asleep and that's what leads to this twitching motion that you see, it's all sleep deprivation the biggest sign that somebody is using meth, even in the beginning, is that they will sleep for like two days in a row when they're off of it, and it, it compounds the thing is that you're not supposed to overclock your brain
1: for a reason, the more you do this, the more you burn out that neural circuitry, yes Dopamine is also an important activation agent for the brain's reward system. So not only are you running your brain well outside of safety specifications, it feels real good. A major danger of overclocking, at least when you do it to a computer instead of your gray matter, is the increase in voltage can fry the computer's components and the additional heat can outright melt them. Bringing the metaphor back to your brain, the hours-long power surge caused by methamphetamine in large enough dosage destroys connections in the brain permanently killing off neurons responsible for emotion memory and pleasure it causes permanent brain damage <laughs> it causes
2: specifically a condition called anhedonia which is an inability to feel pleasure
1: yeah so not
2: only are you continuing to use meth because it feels good meth becomes the only way you feel anything
1: mm-hmm unless you put like a huge amount of energy through the system you feel nothing.
2: Late-stage meth addicts are not known for their motivation or their get-up-and-go, you know?
1: After the high ends, the hormone stores of the brain are heavily depleted, leading to a depressed, listless mood that can last for weeks, increasing risk of dependence and reuse. Uh, of course, I know this as a 21st century 20-something with a high-speed internet connection and extremely weird search history. The creators of Pervitten at Temlar knew no such thing because they never bothered to study the long-term effects of their new product before unleashing it upon an equally unsuspecting public. Pervitten went directly to market with a massive ad campaign modeled after the marketing strategy of Coca-Cola which, incidentally, had removed most of the cocaine back in in 1902, after the harmful side effects first became known, although it still contained a small amount of coca leaf extract until 1929 to protect the Coca-Cola trademark.
2: Squares, give us the good
1: shit. (laughs) I want to feel it! (laughs) Pervinton was attractively packaged and widely promoted to the general public. Further, as is common practice in the pharmaceutical industry to this day, Temmler directly marketed to doctors, including sending free samples to doctors' offices throughout Berlin. What is less common practice, however, was that Temmler also suggested that the doctors try the pills themselves, and write back on the prepaid postcard telling Temmler their thoughts. Oh wow <laughs> it's like it's like a
2: free sample of cereal you used to get in the mail, except um uh, except with more meth, <laughs> yeah, you're creating <laughs> lifelong chemical dependencies in most of your medical staff,
1: yeah, that seems like a slight problem. And there's no way that can go wrong when most of your doctors are on meth. Yeah, what if we mailed actual methamphetamine to every doctor in the city with the high probability that, like, a large plurality of them would take it? Do you think we'd be okay as a society in about, oh, three years?
2: <laughs> I mean, doctor's appointments would be much more exciting when your doctor fills your prescription from across the room
1: while screaming. <laughs> I mean, they would go faster. They, they would go faster. I'm not saying that the backlog is a problem, but if my doctor was on meth, I might go more often. You need 30 stitches? I can do them in four seconds! <laughs> <laughs> Why are you complaining? You have 30 stitches. Are they where they were supposed to be? No, but I think that's being overly picky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Providone was marketed as everything from a handy pick-me-up to a female sexual stimulant. Pervitin was even recommended as a treatment for the symptoms of withdrawal from alcohol, cocaine, and opiates. I mean, it will do that, but again, uh... Um, um oh, yeah. I mean, it will fix your withdrawal in the same way that, like, drinking straight bleach will end your migraines. <laughs> and I, there, there's a certain causal connection, but I'm not sure you've out- like, thought through all the variables. Yeah, it, it just not, not, it's not gonna work the way that you want it to work. This is like trying to treat a cold with anthrax. I just don't know. I'm not a scientist, but I'm not sure that's a good idea. Methamphetamine use exploded in Germany. Factory workers, truck drivers, switchboard operators, nurses, doctors, university students, writers, they all used pervitin to perk them up, to get them through long shifts and all-nighters, and to increase their daily productivity. Nazi ideology heavily emphasized a cult of productivity and personal submission to the machine of the nation-state. Per Witten allowed German citizens to fit the mold of efficient, tireless cog.
2: Yay! Woo! That's, that's an aspirational... That is cheerful. Oof, you don't really see that on, on
1: Coca-Cola ads anymore. <laughs> Coca-Cola, become a, an efficient, tireless cog. <laughs> <laughs> That that that's less that's less fun than I wish I could buy the world a Coke.
2: <laughs> what century are you from that you think that's the most recent Coca-Cola ad campaign?
1: <laughs> I'm not I I I technically I am from the last century, but I'm not gonna say which half of it.
2: <laughs> not the half that had that commercial, I'll tell you that right now.
1: <laughs> least favorite modern Coca-Cola slogan, express productivity and personal submission to the na- machine of the nation state by Coca-Cola. Not, not, and then there's just like, that was sketchy. Meth became so trusted and commonplace that the Hildebrand chocolate company even released chocolates containing 14 milligrams of meth per piece with a recommended serving size of three to nine pieces, 42 to 126 milligrams of methamphetamine in total. Providen tablets themselves only contained 3 milligrams of meth. Hildebrand. Oh! Yeah! Oh my god. (laughs) Uh, They considered a normal daily dosage to be 3 to 6 milligrams, and Hildebrand was suggesting that normal housewives should have 42 to 126. Oh my god. I mean, you're not gonna gain any weight
2: from the chocolate, yeah, but, uh... Yeah.
1: Hildebrand marketed the chocolates heavily to housewives as a way of finding the get-up-and-go to handle the the housework while also slimming down those excess pounds. <laughs> you will dust very efficiently. Oh
2: my gosh. Um, you will pack those lunches! <laughs> yeah, in the four days a week
1: that you're awake. The, the remaining three that you're asleep, uh, less so. Yeah, less so. You will not be the fun mom come Thursday. And then on Monday, you're going to be way too fun. <laughs> we're going to take a walk. We're going to say hi to Darlene. <laughs> going to do some
2: shopping. Oh, my God. Mother is
1: unpredictable. It is always important to have everything done before the husband gets home. <laughs> Give me more chocolate, <laughs> Mazar rises and falls <laughs> like the fascists in Germany. That, that would be a fun character for SNL: German housewife from the forties hopped up on meth.
2: <laughs> I don't. I think we have different definitions of fun. Also, it's no longer a relevant cultural reference, so it's just terrifying out of context. <laughs> it's just a German housewife screaming at you.
1: <laughs> there's no, there's no context that makes that okay.
2: No. <laughs> I just feel like this is how you're gonna do the dishes from now on. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm, I'm gonna be a very upsetting roommate.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> no, never explain yourself. Just just never. let him live in constant terror. <laughs>
1: terror and confusion. I mean, I find it I find it spices up a relationship. I mean we've we've been together as roommates for over a year now, and I just I don't know if he's weirded out by my back hair anymore
2: you've got to step it up a notch to have him find you (laughs) screaming into a bowl
1: keep keep the magic alive the buzz around pervitin attracted its fair share of academic curiosity in fact scientists frequently tested the drugs on themselves and wrote generally positive notes on the experience of course they did of course they did (laughs) obviously just shove this immediately in your mouth if you're a good scientist (laughs) i see no problem
2: this is like the science I do when I find out how well I can write papers while I'm drinking wine coolers. Like mm, this is not This is not good.
1: Mm-mm. In 1938, the Research Institute of Defense Physiology at the Mil- Military Medical Academy in Berlin conducted a set of studies on the performance enhancing effects of methamphetamine, by- led by Dr. Otto Ranke. First, 90, then 150 young medical officers who volunteered as test subjects were given either Pervitin, caffeine, benzedrine, or placebo. They were then asked to solve math and logic problems all through the night until 4 p.m. the next day. Initial results seemed positive. By dawn, the control group was struggling to keep their heads off the desks, while the Pervinton group was still feverishly hammering away at the questions. I
2: was gonna say, I feel like you're gonna know who the control group is in this study. This is not exactly double-blind.
1: Yeah, this is, this is uh, Janelle getting right to the heart of the problem of giving an entire generation of medical officers meth. Yes, this is not a double-blind study.
2: The ones trying to dig ants out of their forearms while they do math for the 18th consecutive hour might be the ones on meth.
1: (laughs) I don't want to prejudge, however. However. It's the answer to the questions that was the problem. The Previnton Group completed questions faster and longer than the controls, but they also made more mistakes and showed a marked drop in performance in complex, and complex tasks that required abstract thinking. Yeah, because the answer to is what's two times two is not lizard! <laughs> yeah, it doesn't require a great deal of creativity or a great deal of lateral thinking. This uh, result caused no concern to Dr. Ranka, who concluded that methamphetamine could have significant military application and suggested larger trials should be conducted using regular troops, though this was largely ignored by the General Army Office, which was preoccupied by more traditional logistical concerns.
2: Not how to mess up an entire army. Yeah,
1: they weren't exactly interested at this point in, you know exactly how to put uh, soldiers on as much smack as possible and then give them guns. Solid military priorities. I just... They were more concerned about, like, the, the, the basic logistical the war. issues of, like, feeding people? That was mostly what they were talking about at this point. The population of young medical officers at the academy paid the results quite a bit more attention. As medical students under a heavy amount of pressure... They began using Pervitin in droves. In the lead up to exams, students throughout Germany began using higher and higher doses to the point that students at Munich University set aside a room for Pervitin corpses, fellow students who had collapsed after a methamphetamine binge. What the fuck? Oh, they're not actually dead. No, they're not actually dead. I was originally very concerned as well, but then it turned out- Oh my god. I I just wasn't reading it properly, and they were just referring to them as corpses.
2: Right, I was like, you know, if if all my friends <laughs> were using a study aid, I might consider it, but if if, if all we of had them a room died dedicated to their rotting corpses, I might reconsider. <laughs>
1: yeah, like if you just had like a, a side room for every big exam that was just f- filled with the with the bodies of the fallen, I would reconsider my degree. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd start to uh, come up with some alternative life plans. That's a hell of a curve. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I like they didn't bring them back to their apartments. They're like, no, no, just stack them on the library floor. It's fine. We don't
1: have enough time. We need to take more meth. <laughs> After discovering the nature and prevalence of pervitin abuse among students, Ranka canceled another planned pervittin study and tried to have it banned at the academy due to potential risk of addiction. Key word there? tried. Oh yeah, of course. When the graduating class of German medical officers deployed to Poland in September 1939, they brought with them a powerful chemical dependence on methamphetamine along with as much pervitin as they could buy.
2: Adderall abuse at universities is also illegal,
1: but I think, like... It is yet to stop.
2: (laughs) I mean, I know where to buy adderall illegally on columbia's campus right now so oh
1: <laughs> you could probably just yell down a hallway and you'll find three people who have some extra
2: <laughs> yeah it's uh it's the same deal same deal same deal we don't we don't stack the fallen in a side room but you know you know
1: it's been toned down significantly it's, it's the essentially same. the
2: same chemical though it's the same chemicals it's an amphetamine
1: yeah it is an amphetamine it's from the same group of drugs and we've learned nothing Adderall will let you keep most
2: of your teeth, though, so there's that. It,
1: it does not noticeably dissolve teeth.
2: It has that going for
1: it. it. There is that advantage. Preventing use during the invasion of Poland was ad hoc and unsystematic, largely at the discretion of individual soldiers, commanders, and medical officers. It was without any high-level guidance to as to its dosage and utterly without regulation. One report of its use reads as follows. Everyone fresh and cheerful. Excellent discipline. Slight euphoria and increased thirst for action. Mental encouragement. Very stimulated. No accidents. Long-lasting effect. After taking four tablets, double vision, and seeing colors. Oh, wait, what? what? Hang yeah, on. That took a swerve. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> not <laughs> These good. people have guns. This is not good. Reports on the overall effect of Provitin use in the invasion of Poland were mixed, but it piqued the army chief's curiosity. Provitin made almost every aspect of a soldier's job easier alertness for long drives, energy for difficult marches, and lowered inhibition for fighting and killing enemy soldiers. Use by soldiers and officers quickly proliferated. Many soldiers' letters home from the front during this period are filled with repeat, insistent requests for their family to send care packages of provitin.
2: Drugs, 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 drugs. drugs, drugs,
1: drugs. drugs. Ranka incur- urged enacting guidelines and regulations for provitin use, but went unheeded. And... You know how we said earlier about how, like, when you find a Nazi agreeing with you and you start thinking, like, maybe they're right some of the time? I mean, they can't be wrong every time they open their mouths? Ironically, at this point, Ronka was likewise a regular, provident user, taking two tablets daily and frequently staying wide awake working for days at a time. Oh, that's healthy. Yeah. Literally, the only man who knows how dangerous these are and is trying to stop it is himself chained to a burgeoning methamphetamine addiction. <laughs> I mean, some of these Nazi soldiers
2: probably blacked out in medical school and then black-backed in as they're marching on Paris. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's entirely possible. And, you know, even then, they just sort of went with it. <laughs> yeah, still bad. They're, they're still still reprehensible. Uh, addiction was likewise rampant at the hum- on the home front, with more and more everyday Germans trying to prevent permiten- and to help them deal with the stress of life, work, and the war abroad. In November 1939, the German Health Ministry under Leo Conti restricted the distribution of Provitin to prescription only, a regulation that was broadly ignored by chemists and consumers.
2: Oh good, we'll just hand it out anyway.
1: Just utterly ineffectual. It was likewise ignored by Army High Command. As ineffective as the prescription requirement was, it didn't even apply to the military, which resisted interference restricting its range of logistical tools, including any chemical enhancement of its troops. After the invasion, Poland's allies Britain and France declared war on Germany, though neither side attacked for months, nervous in the shadow of the First World War. The head of the Wehrmacht, the German armed forces, knew that Germany was at a significant material disadvantage against a first-class military like that of the French. Germany had fewer soldiers, worse equipped with technologically inferior gear that was often decidedly in need of replacement or and, re- and repair. Oof. The Wehrmacht nonetheless faced substantial pressure to develop a viable plan of attack against the French forces, as Hitler was convinced that German soldiers could overcome such deficits through the courage inherent to the Aryan warrior's soul.
2: By which you mean snort victory up your nose.
1: Thanks to Hitler's rash instincts and a lack of strategic planning and military know-how, Germany was in a precarious position against a vastly superior foe, both military and economically, with no option to back down. Unless the Wehrmacht was able to defeat the French quickly and decisively, they would lose.
2: It's basically my chihuahua barking at the roommate's pit bull.
1: Yeah. You hear that, Bianca?
2: Pick your fucking battles.
1: (laughs) You're insufficiently armed, Bianca. You can't invade France. And also insufficiently legged and bodied and headed. (laughs) But she is full of cheese. Absolutely busting with it. Although for her to be absolutely busting with cheese is to contain an ounce of cheese.
2: I was going to say, she's got half a cheese string in her. She's <coughs> out for the night. She, she's done. <laughs>
1: she 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 sleeps the lazy sleep of, of, of the well-fed. <laughs> the indulgent. She, you're going to give that chihuahua gout. <laughs> Your chihuahua is going to have a disease last seen in English Kings. <laughs> it's cheese and wine. Cheese and wine. One half a cheese string at a time. <laughs> Thus... They created the Manstein plan, a lightning attack where an armada of tanks with close aerial support would press through the heavily forested Ardennes mountains of Belgium and into France, a weak point in the French defensive line. The tanks would then rush the rush the coast, thereby encircling allied forces and cutting vital supply lines. The plan relied on surprise, speed, and daring. The tanks would have to drive night and day without Stop or sleep, lest Allied forces get the opportunity to respond and crush the overextended invasion force. Despite the potential risks, the use of provitin was deemed an operational necessity for this most exceptional and vital of missions. Dr. Dr. Otto Ranka, himself addicted to provitin was placed in charge of its regulation within the military. The recommended dosage was one tablet per day. Two tablets in short succession at night, and another one to two tablets after three to four hours if necessary.
2: In fairness, that's like a quarter of what they were giving housewives to dust, so... That is nowhere
1: near what Hilda was doing to get her through PTA meetings. Hilda! Hilda was ready to invade France! <laughs> Holy shit, she's got half a box
2: of chocolates in her and she can't feel her fucking face. Let's Do this!
1: <laughs> do this! The guidelines advised that sleep could be prevented for more than 24 hours in exceptional cases. The Wehrmacht placed an order of 35 million pills from Tamer. Oh wow. that's, Whew. that's a lot of meth.
2: That's a lot of meth.
1: That's that's a lot that's, of a, meth.
2: That's some Breaking Bad. That's. Whew.
1: I am the one who knocks.
2: <laughs> yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> and,
1: and the knocking is like this. <laughs>
2: It carries on for hours. (laughs) Hours.
1: 24 hours in exceptional cases. Uh, The night of May 10th, 1940, the German invasion force took their assigned methamphetamine en masse with orders from General Guderian not to sleep for the next three days and nights, if necessary. That night, they marched on Belgium. In the morning, German forces came upon Belgian defenders entrenched in bunkers on a hillside surrounded by hundreds of meters of open ground. A suicidal approach. A full frontal assault would be near certain death and defeat. Which is perhaps why the Belgians were so startled when the German infantry did it anyway. Because they had meth for breakfast. So startled, in fact, that they retreated despite the strength of their position. The Germans. Kind of a fuck this. Rather than securing the hilltop for themselves, chased after them. Woo! <laughs> this was terrifying. If you point a gun at a dude and he runs at you full tilt anyway, screaming?
2: Yeah, you should leave. You should leave. (laughs) That man is eating his Wheaties and his (laughs) meth, so...
1: (laughs) That man starts every morning with a big old bowl of bran flakes with a sprinkling of sugar and meth.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's a losing battle. You need to go. (laughs) You need to to go now. (laughs) That man will bite your nose right off your face.
1: He will bite it right off your face. He will spit it into your friend's face, and then he will bite off your friend's face. He—he's not. He will bite off his own face. Do not test him. He's not a man to be reckoned with. <laughs> he's barely a man at all at this point. He—he <laughs> be, he became an ispereal, ethereal spirit being three days ago.
2: <laughs> he personally thinks that he's just made out of hornets now. So. <laughs>
1: Two sleepless days later, on May 13th, the same division reached the French border where the Wehrmacht forces had already taken the evacuated French city of Saddam. They there joined the fight against allied forces and the crossing, crossing of the Meuse River. French defenders were caught off guard again and again by an attacker that moved quickly, acted unpredictably, and just never stopped. The French army had never trained for an enemy that felt no apparent fear or sense of danger, and simply advanced full tilt at their artillery. Yeah, because nobody had. Nobody Because that's insanity. That's crazy. No rational force behaves in this manner. And this wasn't a generation that grew up with Call of Duty No. We're not used to to surges. Brainless AIs. There was little method to the German invasion beyond a ceaseless push towards the sea. Wehrmacht tanks, stripped of the weight of much of their armoring, were a moving target that never stopped long enough for the Allies to mount a ca- considered counteroffensive. Entire panzer divisions operated essentially autonomously, out of range of radio contact and too fast for written orders to catch up. Just the chaotic evil approach. Yeah, just full-on Zerg rush. Many, in particular the famous General Erwin Rommel, had come completely untethered from the rest of the chain of command. Early in the morning of May seventeenth, Rommel and his Panzer vanguard came across the encampment of the French Fifth Infantry Division. Without hesitation, Rommel drove his tanks right into the camp, firing all guns and crushing hapless man be- men beneath treads. That's a that's an image. That is a nightmare. It uh feels like it should be a war crime. Admittedly, I haven't gone over, like, the Geneva Convention recently, but turning an entire infantry of soldiers into jam feels like a no-no. It feels unsporting, even for them. Even even for Nazis, this seems uncool. Uh, This was the birth of Blitzkrieg, Lightning War, a military strategy that relied, nay depended, on the heavy use of methamphetamine. In the space of two weeks, the generals of the Wehrmacht had cornered the French First Army and the British Expeditionary Force in French Flanders near the port of Dunkirk. Then, something strange happened. May 24th, 1940, the German tanks stopped, not due to a breakdown or necessity, but because of an order directly from the office of the Führer. The tanks stood still for nearly three days, until the halt order was finally rescinded on the evening of May 26th a delay that allowed the Allied forces to retreat to Dunkirk and the British Navy to successfully evacuate over 300,000 Allied soldiers from certain doom. They have a movie about it now. It's real depressing. The reason for the Dunkirk halt order remains one of the more controversial questions of World War II, because it makes so very little rational sense. One theory is that the utter loss of control over many of the Wehrmacht generals during much of the early French campaign had spooked Hitler who mistrusted them as potential threats and rivals to his own power, in part due to their greater military education and experience. After the halt had been proposed, for entirely legitimate operational reasons, Hermann Göring, commander of the Luftwaffe, the Nazi air force, asked that his command be given the opportunity to defeat the Allied forces amassed at Dunkirk, and the ground forces be ordered to hold back to give his own planes a clean shot. Hitler granted the request rather than let the honor and acclaim for the victory fall to those same generals. Goering was a longtime member of the Nazi party, one of Hitler's earliest supporters and his trusted right-hand man in the Nazi government. Goering also had a massive morphine addiction. Oh, of course he did, because everyone <laughs> in the story is just on drugs. Following treatment for a stomach injury he had received as a participant in the infamous Beer Hall Push. This is perhaps why he so overestimated his own force's ability to defeat the cornered allied forces and underestimated the risks of so long a delay. Because he's like,
2: man, we're just gonna, like, kill him with airplanes, man. While the rest of the ground troops are like, math, 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 math.
1: Hitler, despite thwarting his own generals by sticking his insecure dick in the gears of the Wehrmacht war machine and allowing the British that's to a, escape- That's an
2: image. That's vivid. It,
1: it's, it's poetic. Uh,
2: Stick your dick in the cog of war. I don't know what it means, but it's- It's, it's evocative. Oh,
1: yeah. Ooh. Just, it's, it has a certain quelquefois. He took personal credit for the victory over the Allied forces and the capture of France. German propaganda likewise attributed the rapid victory to the high morale of the noble Aryan soldiers fueled by the righteous ideology of National Socialism, and definitely not 6 to 15 milligrams of meth every day. Not a chance. Which, again, less than Hilda. Get on Hilda's level! Um, She's got vacuuming to do. Got to drop Timmy off before work! <laughs> Gotta go to school Hans, oh, get your breakfast um, <laughs> The entire military From top to bottom Was already showing signs Of widespread methamphetamine dependence With many men experiencing Listlessness and depressed mood Taking more and more pervitin to make up the difference Older officers Showed a marked spike In circulatory problems And heart attacks Ooh. Otto Ranka, himself increasingly dependent on Provitin, substantially whitewashed army reports on the dangerous side effects.
2: They were doing war the way I have sex, fast and out of control, <laughs> and against medical advice.
1: <laughs> and with limited documentation and responsiveness to regulation.
2: <laughs> All of these are true. With devastating long-term consequences. <laughs>
1: For the the entirety of Europe.
2: <laughs> yes. Correct. <laughs>
1: Leading, lead, leading to an entire generation of kind of depressing poetry. I'm going too far with this metaphor, anyway. This is, yeah, this is,
2: this is a lot. Led to the rise of Godzilla. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Directly. Leo Conti, the Nazi health minister, rallied against the continued widespread use of methamphetamine. He attempted to root out the extent to which Luftwaffe pilots were using pervitin to complete their late-night bombing runs, only to be met by a wall of obfuscation on the part of the military medical inspector. On June 12th, Mm. 1941, Conti had pervidden declared an intoxicant, thus subject to the Reich's strict drug laws. This increased prohibition was entirely a formality, as it otherwise went completely ignored. The problem was, no matter the argument that the invasion of France was an extreme circumstance requiring equally extreme measures, the reality of the Wehrmacht position had not radically changed. Still overextended up against a superior foe with a larger, better-supplied, better-organized military, still under the leadership of a cabal of arrogant ideologues who wouldn't or couldn't recognize the reality of the situation. The Wehrmacht might have begun its use of methamphetamine as a one-time push to overcome extreme odds, but its use quickly became habit, then necessity, due to the inherent precariousness of their position. It's also kind of the thing about meth, you don't get to use it as a one-time thing. No. It's a lifestyle. It is a lifelong subscription, and the cancellation fees are terrible. Yikes. There's a reason why, despite the inherent ludicrousness of the war on drugs and many PSAs and accuracies, meth not even once, probably a good slogan. Coca Cola should consider that. That's probably a good choice.
2: I mean, marijuana is not gonna do what Dare told you it would do. Uh, it's not gonna turn you into a, a slack jawed homeless criminal. But it's meth. Meth just might. <laughs> meth might. Meth. Meth is hard. Meth is difficult.
1: Meth is a little further. It's a. It's a. It's a tiny escalation up from 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 Mary Jane. The Wehrmacht had sharply, had sharply cut down usage in late 1940, after the extreme side effects became known, including fits of rage and soldiers attacking their own commanding officers, but use it nonetheless they did. Blitzkrieg had worked astonishingly well against the surprised French, but the British quickly caught on to the chemical heart of the new strategy and responded accordingly, both in their military planning and the, the study of deployment of their own PEP pills. The British military, however, used benzodrine, an amphetamine stimulant with far fewer, less severe side effects. Yeah, because the Blitzkrieg is basically the
2: military equivalent of running at someone while windmilling your arms. Like, yeah.
1: Like, my
2: understanding- Once they figure out what you're up to. Yeah,
1: like once once people have caught onto a pattern, like you're going to be quickly subdued and brought down to the floor. If you want to understand Nazi Germany's strategy back in the 1940s, what you need to do is you need to imagine a meth addict at a club who reels back and punches somebody, and then reels back and punches somebody else who's even bigger. Eventually, the bouncer is going to come in, a big Russian guy from the bar, you're going to knock over his drink, and they're going to subdue you. (laughs) Yeah, there's going to be consequences real fast. Once everyone in the bar is aware that you are not coming down, someone's gonna take you out. (laughs) Then, of course, Hitler ordered the invasion of the Soviet Union. In June 1941, the ultimately disastrous Operation Barbarossa. That was an oops. That was a bit of a whoopsie. That was uh, something of a blooper. While the Wehrmacht managed several notable early successes and inflicted huge casualties in the Soviet campaign... The USSR was simply too big, and far too capable of shortening off mass mass casualties to defeat in a single frenzied push. I mean, like, their greatest defensive weapons are winter and large.
2: You can't defeat most of Asia. (laughs) No. Like, they're half a continent by themselves. Winter is coming, motherfuckers, and we don't care. You cannot kill me, I am already dead inside. (laughs) I sleep in carcass of dog. You cannot hurt me.
1: Moreover, the more the Wehrmacht juiced its troops, the more drugs they needed to achieve the same effect, and the longer and more brutal the post-high recovery. That and the resources were simply spread too thin over too many fronts to conclude the fighting as quickly as they needed to. When winter came, Perviton lost much of its tactical use. Cold combined with sleep deprivation led to rapid exhaustion, and the Wehrmacht troops on the eastern front began using Perviton not to fight but merely to endure. By the end of 1941, it was clear to many within the Wehrmacht and the Nazi government that Germany simply could not win a war of attrition against the Russians. The Fuhrer, and much of the yes-men in his inner circle, however, could not see it, and thus the war continued.
2: I mean, Napoleon could have told you that, like, a hundred years prior, but...
1: It's been tested, but sure, learn for yourself. (laughs) Mm Mmm... Further, in December 1941, Hitler decided, apparently with little thought and next to no consultation, to declare war on the then-neutral United States. This not only pushed the isolationist Americans to enter the war in the first place, but it also freed the U.S. to put the might of its massive industrial base into supplying its traditional ally, Britain. This not to mention the immense amount of resources drawn away from the war effort by Hitler's personal campaign of systematic genocide.
2: Those are a solid bunch of words.
1: Yeah, that's... I I didn't know how to, like, not get into the whole Holocaust thing without also being excessively casual about the whole Holocaust thing. Yeah, it it happened. But it is notable that not only was that a bloody stain upon the history of humanity and the collective soul of all who live, it was also extremely stupid as a use of resources during a full, all-out, like, ground war. With several major powers. You can kind of do one or the other. You need those trains. (laughs) You need that metal. What are you doing? Yikes. Uh, Yeah. In a fascist government, there is often little separation between the military and the civilian government. with with appointment to powerful positions in both the government and the military being highly dependent on, on, on patronage networks and strong social ties to the people already in power. Given the popularity of methamphetamine among the German workforce, the German military and the Nazi SS, it is perhaps unsurprising that many members of the Nazi government were likewise heavy users.
2: It's gotta be hard to run a government when, like, your top officials occasionally just pass
1: out for 72 hours and can't be roused. Yeah, like, I don't- I don't know how, like, the normal government runs things, but I assume even in the Trump White House, they do not have a pervitin corpse room. I- I hope not. I hope when interns, like, puke and fail to rally, they do not just, like, put them in an antechamber off the Senate.
2: <laughs> like, just stick them on the pile.
1: Just- just stick them on the pile. A major point of narcotic contagion within the upper levels of Nazi society was one Dr. Theodor Morell. Morrell was a once well-to-do German doctor, with a customer-is-always-right attitude towards the various high society notables who came to him for treatment, no matter how hypochondriac their concerns. Gonna, it's not a great attitude when you dole out meth for a living. Not a great motto from a doctor. No, not so much. To this day, it is not a good if a doctor will just give you anything you ask for. That is a sign of malpractice.
2: <laughs> yeah, if you go into an emergency room with a Barbie doll stuck up
1: your ass and you ask for drugs, they should say no. <laughs> they should definitely say no. <laughs> they should they should they should tattoo no on their own forehead and lift their cap every time you come in. <laughs> for all moral success he was viewed as a rather dis- as rather disreputable due to his people-pleasing medical practice and his specialization in dermatology and sexually transmitted disease oh fun he's a penis doctor moral had joined the Nazi party in 1933 shortly after the word jew had been written across the door of his office in berlin during the night uh oh was he jewish he was not but he was a bit swarthy so he, Oof. in response to the implied threat there, immediately responded by wrapping himself up in as much red banner as possible. Uh, Morel was asked to travel to party headquarters in Munich in 1936 to provide discreet treatment for Heinrich Hoffmann, Hitler's personal photographer who had acquired a rather embarrassing condition. This brought Morrill into Hoffmann's social circle, and it was at a dinner hosted by Hoffman that Morrill came into contact with Hitler himself. If there's someone
2: in the penis doctor, I assume it's real
1: good. as <laughs> a fun story that his wife did not care for, no matter how much chocolate she took.
2: <laughs> Yikes.
1: Yeah. Morrill managed to impress Hitler through recommending bacterial replacement to treat the Fuhrer's chronic indigestion and stomach pain, which actually is good advice. It can often be very helpful. Stop clock, I guess. The treatment worked, and as thanks, Morrill, a doctor whose primary ethos was to give his patients whatever they wanted, rather than discovering and addressing the cause of their ailments, was appointed as Hitler's personal physician. Oh, good. Morrill became a key figure within Hitler's inner circle and listed the Fuhrer as patient A in his notes. He's basically a Pez dispenser, this doctor. Yeah, you pull his head and a bunch of pills meth will just explode out. out of his neck. <laughs> just a Terrifying, but I'm into it. Tablet
2: of meth will just rocket out of his throat. <laughs> Incidentally, terrifying, but
1: I'm into it. This is also how I have sex. <laughs> There's a theme. Uh, <laughs> it is from morals records that we know much of what we do about Hitler's health during this period. Morrill kept his most important patient on a regime of regular vitamin shots, mixed with glucose for energy. Injections daily, but also before important speeches and meetings. As trusted doctor, Morrill went almost everywhere his patient did. Moral was paid well as a personal doctor to the Führer, but like many high-up members of the Nazi regime, he likewise engaged in his own fair share of grift. He used his relationship with the Nazi leader to promote his own line of supplements, called Multen, made of rosehip powder, dried lemon, yeast extract, skim milk, and refined sugar. Kind of like the homeopathy
2: of today. It's, it's like yeah. when you buy supplements from David Avocado Wolf or Gwyneth Paltrow.
1: Roughly the level of medical legitimacy here, this is trying to use incense and, like, palm readings to treat your cancer. This is not good.
2: It's a cure for AIDS made out of psychic farts. Like, it's not... <laughs> it's not good.
1: I don't think that's gonna get FDA approval. Luckily, you don't need it in
2: this country. You can sell whatever the fuck you want. The, the FDA is more of a suggestion. Supplement
1: industry is completely unregulated. Have good luck. Good luck. Godspeed. Try not yeah. to die. Don't think about it. And try not to look up exactly how many vitamin supplements were found to have none of the plant on the bottle. Mm, it's lots. It's a lot. It's an upsetting amount. Later in the war, Morrill ex- accepted war spoils seized from the original owners, many of whom were murdered Jews. Further, he heavily used government resources to forward his own private business interests, which included hauling huge. Huge government truckfuls of slaughterhouse excess, heaps of organs, glands, and spinal cords for his animal hormone-based medical supplement business, which is the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Yeah. Just that level of corruption. It's bad. Also the spines, but mostly Mm. the misuse of government resources. Yeah, mostly that. Mostly that. Morrill promoted his treatments heavily among Hitler's immediate circles, and handed out drugs liberally, including, of course, provitim. It is generally agreed that Hitler's sharp decline began in the autumn of 1941. With that shudder in his health came a surge in the patient-pleasing efforts of Dr. Morrill. Patient A's daily injections now included increasing proportions of steroids, animal hormones, and the odd opiate. And, honestly, I'm not sure if you can call a man with that many testicle, prostate, and uterine derivatives running through his veins a vegetarian. Mm. I mean, you're not eating it, but that seems like loophole abuse.
2: Yeah, if you take powdered cat as a pill, you can't really claim that you don't eat cat.
1: There is an upper limit on how much bovine testicle you can shove up your own ass because before you're no longer a vegan. I feel like it's any. It's Annie. any bovine it testicle. Any bovine testicle. No matter it's the kind reason. Of a <laughs> spirit of the law versus letter of the law here. I it's- mean, I will accept you eating cheese. I will not accept cutting off a bull's testicle and shoving the entire thing up your anus. That is where I draw the line.
2: <laughs> Even my dog can tell the difference. Bianca, cheese? Oh, she's very interested. Bull testicle. No, she's not interested.
1: Bianca knows best, and she is a doctor.
2: Oh yes, I take medical advice from an emotionally fragile chihuahua.
1: You should get more sleep.
2: (laughs) Hush. (laughs) You're Uh not my real dad. Can't tell me what to do.
1: I have a mug that says, world's greatest dad, and I'm offended. To avoid the perception that the Fuhrer was dependent on anything, exact components of his vitamin hormone cocktail changed every day.
2: Oh, that's- that's medically not great. That's- that's wise.
1: Keep the body guessing. Yeah, that's what my doctor always tells me. Just constant irregular shocks to the system. That's what helps- that's what pet little well, will pep you up.
2: Your doctor just gives you a mystery bowl. You just rummage around in there
1: this every morning, and what you get, you get. You know, just pick, a, pick up a big handful and just shove them all in your gaping maw.
2: Like doing pills out of a bowl at a high school party. It's just, it's a fun time.
1: This might be Viagra. This might be the, like, the end of my life. But I got it out of my dad's cabinet, so it must be cool.
2: Expired Xanax or multivitamin, who
1: knows? During this period, Hitler steadily withdrew from public life holding fewer rallies, spending more time inside, and paying longer, more frequent visits to the secret, isolated bunker that served as military headquarters on the Eastern Front. This bunker was called Wolfschanze, Wolf's Lair, which is a name only 12-year-old boys and fascists think is cool. To help Patient A cope with the emotional consequences of this increased isolation and the loss of the natural high high of mass rallies, Morrill supplied him with chemical replacements and the placebo of his constant attention. At the same time, Hitler became increasingly divorced from reality and disengaged from the responsibilities of governance. Less and less willing to admit defeat, sees the strategic benefit of retreat, or listens to those who offered a critical voice.
2: Gosh, that sounds familiar.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Hmm. Blast from the past. I see nothing to which this could possibly be deemed similar. Mm-hmm. I'm dead inside.
2: It's not like Hitler signed NAFTA in the wrong spot. <laughs>
1: <Fine>. <laughs> he does at least have that in his favor. Stop clock. Those who remained in the Fuhrer's inner circle were, in essence, his yes men and lackeys' deja vu. June 18th, 1943, shortly before a planned meeting with Italian dictator Benito Mussolini, Herr Hitler had a bout of intense stomach pain that didn't ease with the usual injection. Moral, feeling the pressure of the moment, decided to use something a little stronger. Eucadol. Eucadol had come to market in 1977 1970- as a painkiller slash cough medicine. Its active ingredient was oxycodone. I was going to say, I assume this is something we use to tranquilize horses today. Yeah. <laughs> it was for a
2: light cough back then. Yeah.
1: A powerful opioid, twice as strong a painkiller as morphine, that causes a significantly greater euphoria than heroin. <laughs> oh. Yeah, good shit. We're we're using that good grandma's dying of cancer drug. We give this oxycodone nowadays to people with permanent chronic pain and people who are waiting to die. <laughs> I
2: was going to say, like, older generations call millennials weak, but, like, we deal with pain with, like, meditation and lemon water. They just went straight to the good shit for a light cough.
1: You know, they went right for the hard stuff. Top shelf. Moral gave Hitler two shots of Eucadol, one subcutaneous, the other intramuscular, and the meeting went forward as scheduled. Mussolini had been planning to float the idea that maybe it would be better if Italy kind of thought perhaps just wasn't in the war anymore. Only Hitler spent all three hours hyped up, talking so relentlessly that Mussolini couldn't get a word in edgewise.
2: <laughs> That's good. That's good diplomacy.
1: Just the very height of leadership on the international stage. Pacing and screaming. Those are
2: both (laughs) of the diplomacy tactics you need.
1: At the same time, many of Hitler's inner circle were deeply stressed by the war and the Fuhrer's erratic behavior and unfounded confidence. To deal with the strain and avoid seeming weak, something that had cost many advisors their jobs, they turned to moral for similar chemical assistance. Including, of course, preventant. After July 20th, 1944, an attempted assassination by a resistance cell within the Wehrmacht left Hitler injured and in chronic pain, the Eukedal became an essential part of basic functioning. The attack had likewise burst both of the Fuhrer's eardrums, for which an ear specialist used quite a lot of cocaine as a local anesthetic.
2: So they put cocaine in his ears. In
1: his ears. In his bleeding open ears. They just... Unusual? Not what I've seen at parties? But you do you. <laughs> that's, that's how all the kids are doing it. It's it's the new, it's the new hot trend. Fascist dictators sh- shoving straight cocaine right in their ears. That's uh, how all the kids are doing it. It's like butt chugging. <laughs> exactly the reference I was making. <laughs> the specialist, Dr. Giesling, had no idea of Hitler's heavy opioid dependence when he began to administer the cocaine. Because Morrill never discussed patient A's medical regimen with any of Hitler's other doctors. Morrill further ignored attempts at oversight by Martin Bormann, the Fuhrer's private secretary. Almost like he had something to hide. Strange, that. Strange, that. Also deeply unethical, but I've been told that, like, getting caught up with, like, the procedural unfairness of the Nazi regime is missing the point. (laughs) (laughs) There's, There's bigger fish to fry here. People have informed me that the corruption really wasn't the lesson. <laughs> Yikes. But I still want to point out that, like, the idea that, like, fascist governments were any more efficient than democratic governments? Largely inaccurate. Ooh. That thing about the trains running on, running on time? Untrue and probably a joke about euthanizing Jewish people. Oh, God. That's probably a genocide joke. Oh, no. I It took me a while to figure it out, but I think the trains are full of Jews.
2: Yikes. Also, I mean, probably yeah. not not worth everything else.
1: Yeah, I, I don't particularly care for the trade-off. I will accept an occasionally late transit ride if we do not genocide all of the Romani. Yeah, you know, that seems like a fair trade-off. I would prefer not to kill every autistic person, Um, and I stand by that. It's, it's a, I think it's it's a slight preference. Yeah, I'd, I'd prefer not to kill people who don't want to die. Well, aren't you picky? Yeah. Yeah, you, you, I, I'm not going to hear it from you naysayers You're on the wrong side of history uh, Giesing initially re- ac- Acceded to his patient's request To continue nasal cocaine swabs Even after his ears healed up But the doctor eventually resisted And then refused as it went against his medical judgment Finally someone having judgment strange, uh, And that. he was disturbed by the Fuhrer's behavior Hitler responded by pressuring And intimidating Giesing Into resuming the cocaine regimen in October 1944, Giesing accused Moral of poisoning their mutual patient, causing his physical decline, megalomania, and odd euphoria after major political and military setbacks. Now, again, Nazis stopped clocks. Giesing did not point to Morrill's use of Eucadol, which he didn't know about, but rather the Fuhrer's anti-gas pills. Oh. Dr. Coster's brand anti-gas pills contained atropine, a derivative of nightshade, and strychnine, a common rat poison, which Giesing thought was leading to Hitler's symptoms of delirium and jaundice. Is all medication horrifying in the 1940s? Absolutely! That's where aspirin is from, and that stuff's fucked up! Oh, wow. Giesing tested a few of the pills on himself, and when he appeared to develop similar symptoms, grew certain he had the culprit. That's some medical science science. However, the pills were available over the counter and didn't contain enough atropine or strychnine to cause any poisoning. I don't know why they were in anti-gas pills, and I'm horrified. Yeah, that's what I wanna know. Do they
2: actually reduce gas or is it more of a like I don't know I don't know how effective they were. I don't know. You know maybe they're just feeling people strychnine for no reason. Curing a twisted ankle by drinking
1: gasoline. Like, you know, it's just it's not a problem Woo. anymore. Moral was cleared, Giesing dismissed, and Giesing's protest that no other head of state received 120 to 150 pills and 8 to 10 injections a week went unheeded. Mm. That ever-rotating pill regimen, by this point, contained the occasional tablet of, of course, Pervitin. As for the true cause of Hitler's jaundice, it may have been his liver failing under the strain of processing so many hard drugs, or even hepatitis from repeat injections with needles sterilized only with alcohol. Fun. As his body grew increasingly resistant, and the eucodol remained effective for shorter and shorter periods of time. Hitler received more and more shots, more and more frequently, and developed extensive scarring along veins in his arm—what one might call track marks. I mean, this is back
2: in the day when they're basically just wiping the needle off on their sleeve.
1: So yeah, and also the needle is huge. Oh yeah, true. It's amazing it can breach skin. It's basically a knife with a with a with a reservoir behind it. I mean, because they <laughs> they can
2: just rub a little cocaine on the uh, on the area before they mm. plunge it in. You know. No
1: problem. We're all big wimps now. I think I think that's really what caused the weakness in the current generation. The, the gradual phase-out of cocaine.
2: And horse needles. Yeah!
1: Hitler suffered classic symptoms of opioid dependence. Constipation, insomnia, and tremors. The tremors had led Morald to suspect a case of Parkinson's, but they may have easily been a simple symptom of drug abuse. For the insomnia, Morrill is prescribed barbiturates. Oh. Oh, so we're just this just stacking
2: this at this point.
1: Every drug he was on every drug, Janelle. All the drugs, just all of yeah, them. Yeah, we've run out of
2: drugs. He's now got all the drugs.
1: We're out He's of. He's got them all. There's no more drugs. I don't know. I always just thought if you were on cocaine, opium, meth, barbiturates, and occasionally having the odd glass of sherry, I assumed you just die. No, apparently not. They they built him sturdy back I'm in the day. Shaking. I'm shaken. I'm shaken, Janelle. People were tougher back in the They're day. They're built to last. Mostly, their livers. Except they didn't last. They died so much sooner. Yeah, they did. It was it was really bad for them. They they died a lot. Don't don't
2: do this, kids.
1: Don't. I just I'm just gonna say that opioids, barbiturates, cocaine, and meth all together. Not even once. Bad for you. This is your brain on everything. <laughs> Fuck. By mid-1944, the Nazi war effort was collapsing. Many Wehrmacht soldiers, after years of chronic exposure to methamphetamine, were highly dependent, burnt out, and likely experiencing psychotic symptoms. The Wehrmacht replaced many of its dead and injured with young teenagers who were put on the front, barely trained, and kept kept firm before an encroaching line of Red Army tanks by liberal usage of cocaine and preventin-laced chewing gum. You know, for the kids. Just something something for the whole family. Something for everybody. The Navy was still conducting military tests on various drug cocktails incorporating cocaine and methamphetamine, including human trials forced on prisoners in the concentration camps. The last large operations flown by the Luftwaffe, pilots dosed with Pervitin, ended with many of those pilots shot down by the Wehrmacht's own anti-aircraft gunners, who had not been briefed on the mission. Ooh. That's an oops. Bit of an own goal. Bit of an own goal. Yikes. At the end, in the early months of 1945, Hitler likely suffered heavy withdrawal due to drug supplies drying up as the Allies bombed German factories. On April 17th, Morrill finally abandoned his patient and fled after the Fuhrer dismissed him and threatened to have him shot. What? This- Some way to thank the guy this... who gave you everything? I mean, most people are only friendly with their friends with their dealer until he no longer has the goods. This only- th- 13 days before Hitler's own suicide on April 30th. Morrill was later picked up by the Americans, who imprisoned him for about two years before releasing him as rather useless. The the Pez dispenser of the Nazis. They did not get any useful information out of him, and they're just like, oh, fuck off. We're not even going to bother. He was just there to Uh, dispense the meth. He had nothing to do with anything else. Moral died a year later, impoverished and under the care of a Jewish Red Cross nurse who took pity on him and had him hospitalized. That's a noble nurse. That is a- Anyone else? That is like the best person who's ever existed. That's just the nicest person. (laughs) She would have been really well within her rights to tell him to fuck right off. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) No one would have blamed her. No, I'm not so much impressed as incredulous At how how open-minded that is
2: <laughs> Yeah, taking care of Hitler's ailing doctor is uh That's that's a lot That's selfless
1: I'm like, you're already a Red Cross nurse, calm down You're gonna make the rest of us look bad She's going for canonization or bust <laughs> I don't even know why she wants To be a saint, seeing she as she's Jewish But like, fuck it, she can be a saint Of whatever religion she wants
2: <laughs> She can put her mind to it
1: I believe in you. She can Uh, transcend religion. (laughs) Obviously, the story of methamphetamine doesn't end with the story of Nazi Germany. Few of the soldiers and civilians exposed to dangerous amounts of pervitin received appropriate rehabilitation. The drug itself saw a revival in the pharmaceutical industry as an antidepressant and diet aid under the trade name Obetrol in the 1950s and 60s.
2: I mean, again, it will do both of those things, but not...
1: No, don't. There's a hefty price. Don't do that. yikes just be fat just watch Requiem for a Dream it'll make you talk to your refrigerator hashtag body positivity you don't need meth
2: (laughs) don't yeah don't do meth just just you're fine your way you are
1: not on meth you're beautiful the way you are with all your teeth (laughs) oh god in the 1970s increased prohibition pushed manufacture and distribution into the hands of criminal organizations and the relative ease and cheapness of making meth has kept it a staple of rural and economically depressed areas ever since even today, methamphetamine is sold under the trade name Desoxyn for hyperactivity and weight loss, though its distribution is heavily restricted.
2: How fat do you have to be before they will give you meth legally?
1: I- apparently there is- there- there is a point.
2: There's a category of person where they're like, you know what? Doing meth is less harmful for your health at this point.
1: Global addiction and abuse remains high, with treatment programs on often- ineffective, insufficient, or non-existent in many areas. But on the bright side, there's nothing bright about this.
2: No, there's not. I was like, this is... Now we make TV shows about sad, cancerous teachers from New Mexico who make meth.
1: I I think what we've learned from this is, despite methamphetamine's contribution to the rise of Nazi Germany, the widespread addiction... The the collapse of several cities and, you know, the overwhelming decline and-
2: It's tearing apart families, tearing apart communities, families, and lives. communities,
1: and lives. Uh, methamphetamine did directly lead to the award-winning Breaking Bad. So there's that? There is that. And, um, was it worth uh, it?
2: No. I don't- No, really, no. But was really, it worth no. it? No. It also led to better calls, so it. also almost. So
1: yeah, better better call cell, right? It it almost, but not quite. Um no. but not quite. Still no. Still, Still no. Still absolutely not. Um but yes, that's not season meth. Yay! And nasty meth. The worst kind. The worst part is that it's racist against other meth. Oof. Or maybe I'm confused. I don't know. <laughs> I am on a lot of methylphenidate. Which is not meth,
2: but it's still called meth. Because the chemical group. I don't have time to get into this. It's yeah. it's
1: not meth. Jessica's not allowed to do meth. You have amphetamines, you have methyl, and you put them together, it's methamphetamine. I have some methyl, I don't have the amphetamine. Jessica's not allowed to go
2: anywhere near stimulant medication. She'll run through the streets of Vancouver barefoot, screaming into the night.
1: They put me on Ritalin, and they're like, oh, you want to start off with half a pill? I am still on half a pill. <laughs> I I'm not sleeping right anymore, and uh, this is this is the cause. There's a chance that Jessica's recording this from the ceiling. <laughs> I hang upside down like a bat. <laughs> the only way I can get <laughs> any rest anymore. The only way I can. Find but you can focus this. so yeah. well. Oh man, I can I can see my own DNA. Woo. So we thank you for listening to another episode of Fat French and Fabulous, and uh, for not doing meth, and for not doing any of that naughty naughty meth. Uh, I'm Jessica, and I'm still Janelle, and we are fat, fat French, French, and, and fabulous. fabulous,
2: and not on math,
1: and not on math.
0: <laughs> when the shades of night are falling comes a fellow everyone knows it's the old dope peddler spreading joy wherever he goes every evening you will find him around our neighborhood it's the old dope peddler doing well by doing He gives the kids free samples Because he knows full well That today's young innocent faces Will be tomorrow's clientele Here's a cure for all your troubles Here's an end to all distress It's the old dope peddler with his powdered happy